You know, we live in a Christian, a post-Christian era or culture. I don't need to tell you that. In fact, um, if we look around our own community, if we look at statistics, according to Lincoln Christian University, it's estimated that 60% of our church youth will not remain active in the church by the time they're in their teens and 20s. Scary statistic. If we look in terms of statistics just locally or church growth, the fastest growing religion in the world is Islam. In fact, Islam makes almost 25% of the world's religion. Christians, only about 29%. When we talk about the work of the church and the need to do God's will, it's out there. The harvest is plentiful. If we look just at statistics, other statistics, in 1990, 85% of the people that were polled claimed to be Christians. In 2016, that number has shrunk to 65%. And if we look at church attendance alone, 50% of the population in the United States say they've never attended or rarely attended a church service. If we look at our own statistics inside La Crosse County, we have about 117,000 people. If that holds true, today there are 70,000 people who are not in church this morning hearing God's word preached. Only 23% attend church on a regular basis. Again, the work is plentiful. In fact, Matthew 7.14, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. What a sad verse. People of the word of the world need Christ. They need Christ in their own community. Today we're going to talk about biblical principles of investing and inviting. You've heard that term. The elders last year when we met with Lincoln Christian University, we talked about the need for discipleship and investing and inviting in people, not only in our own congregation, but outside of our congregation. Another way of saying this is reaching people for Christ. We, we want to give you three practical things today to invest in the lives of others and allow you to intentionally invite them to church here in Onalaska Church of Christ. Our text today will be found in Matthew 9, 35 through 38. Let me read it for you. Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of the area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into the fields. See, Jesus is teaching his disciples about the harvest and about reaching those who are lost with the good news of Christ. We talked a few weeks ago about, as Christians, we are given the privilege and responsibility of partnering with God. He's already doing what he's already doing to reach the lost in the world. God word, God's word tells us that we are Christ ambassadors. 
individuals and families who are called to represent Jesus to others. In fact, I will tell you this morning, based on those statistics in our community, you may be the only Jesus that some people see in your work, in your community, in your neighborhood. Investing and inviting should be motivated by compassion. That's the first point. And if we look at Jesus as an example, that holds true. Matthew 9, 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus was a people person. Everywhere he went, people flocked to him. But isn't that what Christianity is all about? About building relationships? Our relationship with Jesus Christ? Our relationship with others around us? in and out of the church. We know that Jesus is Son of God, but what is it about His character or personality that draws people to Him? If we look at the verses before 9.35 and 38, it gives us a hint about Jesus' compassion. In fact, if we look, He healed, He performed six miracles in that very same chapter. The first they're a paraplegic that was brought to him on a mat. And what did Jesus say to him? Your sins are forgiven. But what did the leaders of the Jewish church at that time say to Jesus? That's blasphemy. How can you forgive someone's sins? Only God can do that. You go on and then you see that he healed a paraplegic then after that he healed a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. And then he rose a little girl from the dead. Her father came to Jesus and said, my, father, my daughter has died. Please come. And on his way there he met this lady who had been bleeding for 12 years and he healed her because of her faith. And then after that, he restored the sight of two blind men and healing a mute man. And what did the Jewish leaders say to him? They questioned him. They questioned his faith. They called him the prince of demons for driving out demons of the mute man. And then in that same chapter, he he called Matthew to follow him. He was at the tax booth and he said, come with me. And he went to Matthew's house and he had dinner. And not only did the tax collectors show, but other sinners showed up as well. And again, the Pharisees said, what are you doing? Sitting with sinners? What is that all about? And how did Jesus respond? It's not the... It's not the healthy that need a doctor, it's the sick. So he showed compassion, and we see that compassion in the work of Jesus and what he's done. God's word tells us that the crowds were always amazed at this. They're amazed at his teaching. He taught with power and authority. Jesus knew who he was. The religious leaders of Jesus' day were only concerned about passing down rules and regulations and legalistic religion. But that's not the religion that we have. Jesus was preaching of a newfound freedom. 
He was different. He shared life-changing words with each of them. While the miracles of Jesus and teachings of Jesus would certainly draw a crowd, I would argue that one of the most majestic things about Jesus was his compassion. Jesus loved people. He was concerned about their needs, and he took the time to be with people. What an example for each of us. Jesus spent a large, large portion of his time healing people, teaching people, and mentoring people because he was compassionate. Compassion could be seen in everything that he did. Everywhere in the New Testament, everything we see about Jesus relates to compassion and the relationships he had with people. And that's why people were drawn to him. I love this quote by Theodore Roosevelt. It says, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Isn't that so true? When we meet people at their needs, they see Jesus in our works. Today we sit here as sinners, not in judgment of other sinners. We're different. We know that we've sinned, but we've been saved by the grace of God. Jesus is able to see behind the facade of every person that he meets, getting past what's on the surface and getting the real need to the heart. In John chapter 4, we see that when Jesus sees the Samaritan woman at the well. And see, Jews did not associate with Samaritans, but Jesus said, ask the woman for water. And then he went on to tell her about the water he will give where she will never thirst again. Jesus, Jesus saw beyond her needs. He saw the sin in her heart. He saw full disclosure. Before Saul was Paul, his mission in life was rooted in anger and hatred toward God's people. Jesus helped him see past the facade of empty religion, giving Paul a new heart and a new mission for God. And we have most of the New Testament from the man. The compassion of Jesus is able to see behind the facade of all people. He sees our trials, our sorrows, and the problems that we're going through each and every day. We're not immune to that as Christians. But we react differently. Not only does he seize them, but he offers us hope. We have the hope that others are seeking. You know, I, the, the statement in Cheers, and I remember that song, and I never watched the, the show Cheers, and it was probably a perfectly good show, but I was, people wanted to go where everybody knows their name. People are looking for something. They just don't know what they're looking for. Jesus offers that hope. Investing in the lives of others and inviting them to come and hear the message of Christ is the greatest news on earth. We should be motivated by compassion. What people are going through. I can tell you, I work for the school district of La Crosse. And we're not probably any different than any of the other communities. But I often hear that families are dealing with trauma. And I said, what kind of trauma are they dealing with? Because I see the behavior of students and I see the behavior of parents that's different than when I went to school. And they're dealing with the trauma of spousal abuse. They're dealing with the trauma of drug abuse. 
They're dealing with the trauma of having weapons in their home. The people of our community are desperate to hear the good word, the word of Christ and what he can do for them. It's evident all around us. Investing in the lives of others and inviting them to come and hear the great word, the greatest news on earth, should be motivated by compassion. When our, in, when our motivation is compassion, we take the time to get to know but somebody. We take the time to get to know them and their circumstances. I like to say that everybody has a story. Jesus saw the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. I can tell you that the people that you come in contact have a story to tell. And oftentimes you won't recognize it from their facade. The example that I use about a story to tell is I use my own example. If you were to look at me and you would say, okay, what is my history? What is mine? Now I tell you, I I have loving parents and I grew up in a loving home. But I can tell you the things that you don't know about me. My mother, at 16 years old, became pregnant from my father, who was also a teenager, in small town Iowa in 1960. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what sh- the ridicule and everything that they had to go through? Would have been easy for my mother to say, let's just give them up for adoption. And that would have been a perfectly good choice. She could have said, let's have an abortion. But she didn't. My parents today have been married for 58 years, and I grew up in a loving family. Both of them are believers in Christ and have been immersed into Christ. I've been the first member of my family on either side to attend college and to graduate. Since then, others have. But you wouldn't know that by looking at me. I can tell you that the community which we live in is full of stories. But when we take the time, when we care about the compassion of Christ and we use him as an example and we take the time to get to know people, it opens up the door for our witness. When we really take the time, especially those outside the church walls, it really does make a difference. I have to tell you, there's been Christians in our lives that made a difference to us, and you've probably the same way, but I'd like to share them with you. The first when my wife and I were first married. We were, my, Nancy had never lived away from her parents. I was in the Air Force, went through basic training, we got married, and then we went to Tucson, Arizona, and we moved down there together. And I found a apartment complex, and she didn't know anybody, at least I knew a few people on the base, and across from us were Andy and Nikki Ludlam. Now, Andy was in Tucson at Davis-Monthan Air Force Base. He was there as a pilot for training. Well, if you know the rules in the military, they don't like enlisted, uh, and they call it fraternization, working with uh, officers. But Andy and Nikki didn't care. They took us under their wing. They befriended Nancy while I'm at work. They're Christian people that invited us to church. They witnessed to us, invited us to church. They fed us. Wonderful people. Then, again, when it came time to move, we get out of the Air Force. We moved to La Crosse, Wisconsin. I was going to go back to school. Did not have a job. Nancy did not have a job. The Air Force will move you one place. 
And so I was accepted to UWL to go to school. And so they moved us to La Crosse. All of our stuff was in storage. We didn't even have a place to live. I can tell you we came up one weekend and kept our kids at my parents' house and we're looking and we couldn't find a place. And we were spending in a hotel room and we thought, maybe, maybe God's plan is for us to go back into the Air Force. Maybe this isn't where he wants us to be. Well, we went to one more place and we ran into what this place was, a, a duplex. And we came into contact with Richard and Cheryl Moen, members of the church. And they took us under our wing. They rented us a duplex with no money, nothing. We paid rent. We were prepared to do that, but we had no job. But they took us, and they invited us to church, and we're still here today in the Church of Christ. And that wasn't it. So we move here. We find a church. We have people who have taken us under their wing. And now we have a a two-and-a-half-year-old and a three-month-old. And so we don't have daycare. So Nancy got a job at the hospital at night so she could be home with the kids during the day. And so I went to school during the day and I could be with the kids at night. But there was that time in between where we needed help. Carolyn Hansen, a member of the church, stepped forward. And she said, I don't have a job. I can watch those kids for you. Our life is full of Christian people who step forward so that we could grow in Christ. And that's what I'm talking about when we talk in terms of compassion. Compassionate Christians, and you probably could tell the same story, and I know many of you provide some of those many services where you've made a difference in other people's lives. That's what I love about our church. We're a multi-generational church who serves one another. In La Crosse last year alone, three churches closed their doors. Yet at a time where we have a lot of change, we have a multi-generational church who serves others. When we lead with compassion, taking the time to serve others instead of judging them, a relationship forms and the doors open for sharing Christ effectively. Pharisees see people as projects and judge them for their problems. Save people, serve people, love people, and are motivated by compassion. Matthew 9, 36 says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. As Christians were called to imitate Christ's compassion toward others. When a co-worker is sick or struggling, we should be the first person to pray for them or offer them assistance. When an older neighbor's driveway is covered with snow, if we're able, we should be the first to offer help. When a brother or sister in Christ is going through a difficult season, we should be the first to offer support and encouragement. Investing and inviting should be motivated by compassion. Point number two, investing and inviting should be driven by prayer. I will tell you, next to God's word is the best tool in our toolbox as Christians to reach the lost. Investing and inviting should be driven by prayer. Prayer should be a huge part of our efforts in reaching people for Christ. Matthew 9, 37 through 38 says this, 
He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into the fields. The standard English version says, pray earnestly. Other verses say, pray without ceasing. We should be praying earnestly, sincerely, with deep conviction. It's interesting to me that Jesus did not ask us to say, in this text anyways, did not ask us to pray for the lost. He instructed us, pray pray for more workers. Instead, he tells us to pray for workers, and God send more workers into the fields. We know the harvest is plenty. We talked about that in our own community. And the work is great. The harvest is ripe for our picking. Jesus was pointing out an important truth. There are a lot of people who are ready to give their lives to Christ if someone would just show them how. Fortunately, in my life, that we've had people step to the plate and share with, with us their faith. In Matthew 9, Jesus tells us to pray that people would respond to the need for more workers. And we have more workers here in our own church. But Craig gave me this example. And I believe that we are those workers. And he said this, he took a group of kids to Christ in youth when he was a youth minister. During one of the main sessions, the CIY team recognized the work being done by a group of high school girls. This group of students had recognized the need for their hometown that many of the older parents in hospitals and residents in nursing homes had. And that was the need for fellowship. And I can tell you that's true today. For someone or some group to intentionally help lift them with their spirits. These girls came up with an idea. They prayed that God would do something, that he would bring someone who could help their need. God answered their prayers quickly. Do you know what he said? I want you. Go. After talking with their parents about their conviction, the girls got to work brainstorming and praying about what could be done. They had the idea of starting ministry, building a Build-A-Bear stuffed animals. And then they hand-delivered them to the patients in the hospital and to the residents of the nursing home. So what's the takeaway from that story? When you pray about a specific need, don't be surprised if God answers your prayers by telling you you to meet that need. We've seen that in our own congregation for people who have had a passion for the homeless or passion for the hungry where people have stepped up and provided that need. I can tell you firsthand whose father is in a nursing home what a great need there is to visit those who are lonely. And we'll talk about that as we go forward. When you pray about a specific need, don't be surprised. If there's a burden on your heart for another person or situation, pray earnestly for that need, but also be ready to respond if God asks you to. He will use you to meet that need. Jesus instructs us to pray for more workers who can be sent into the fields. I believe that you and I are those workers. If we're going to make a difference in our community to reach those who are lost, who don't know Christ, it's going to need each and every one of us in this room today. We should also be praying for more individuals and families to be a part of the work that we're doing here at OCC. The harvest is great and the workers are few. When it comes to reaching people for Christ, 
people who are lost far outnumber the workers. I can tell you that the power of prayer, when it says we're supposed to pray earnestly, has impacted my life and probably yours as well. Do you know that we have a prayer chain here at church? And so that if you have a prayer request, if you let one of the church staff, you want one of the elders know, or you let Kim Sikkiman knows, that she sends out a prayer request. It goes out to 14 people immediately. They stop what they're doing and they pray. Day, night, whatever it is. Again, the power of prayer beyond God's word is the best tool that we have to reach the lost. We have a prayer group that meets every Sunday afternoon. Barb Bates coordinates that. I know the power of prayer because we've seen it in our own family. My brother-in-law, Jeff Holly, on December 23rd, had surgery. He had a cyst removed from his pancreas. Seven and a half hour surgery. Less than a week later, he coded. If he wasn't in intensive care, he would have died. Now, none of us will escape death, but makes this so tragic is I'm not sure that he has a personal relationship with Christ. People are dying all around us who have no relationship with Christ. Through the power of prayer, and there's no doubt, through the power of prayer, today he's recovering very slowly, but he's in a VA hospital and working toward getting better. We have an opportunity now because of the power of prayer to witness to him. We need more workers and shut-ins. I will tell you, I have three shut-ins. Three gentlemen were in homes, nursing homes. Jerry Anderson. If you took the time to know Jerry when he was younger, you would know that Jerry's a big Michigan State fan. I always used to talk to him about that. Or Les Rochester, who's here in Alaska at a home and who loves to tell you his story of his service to our country in World War II and Dave Trulson and his love for vehicles. These are men who require shut-ins in our church. We're down to three people who are providing shut-ins to them. I can tell you when we talk about service to the Lord, how important it is, you will benefit more than they will, although it's very important. When we needed service workers in our nursery, Deanna Holick stepped to the plate. Now, I don't know if that's out of her comfort zone, but she stepped up to the plate and helped us in the nursery. It wasn't that long ago when we could combine nurseries. Now, on some Sundays, we have 14 kids between our nursery and junior church. Again, we serve a multi-generational church, and people have stepped up to the plate. We need more people on our worship team, more people, workers leading our growth groups, more workers to be a part of love through our love local ministry, more workers willing to go overseas and to serve alongside the missions team and the work that Jack and the missions team are doing. The potential for a kingdom impact is huge, but it has to be driven by prayer, specifically that God would send more workers. Point number three, investing and inviting is accomplished by work. Okay, It isn't easy. If it was easy, everyone would do it. We don't work to earn God's favor. 
God loves each and every one of us without doing that. But if we have Christ in our heart, natural response is to serve him with our lives. The natural response to God's love and grace is to honor him with every aspect of our lives. We're different. We're different in the home. We're different in the workforce. We're different in the community because we have the assurance. We're not different because we're not sinners. We're sinners just like everyone else. We're different because we have God's grace and we have the hope of eternity. And if we believe that that is true, we need to share that with others. Our lives are not their own. They were bought with a price. They were bought with the price of Jesus on the cross. I love the quote, I use this often, by Christy Todd Whitman. If you don't think, if, if anyone thinks they are too small to make a difference, you've never tried to sleep in the room with a mosquito. God will use you right where you're at. You don't have to have a certain educational level. You don't have to have so much money. You don't have to live like this. You don't have to have kids. You don't have to have all those things. God will use you right where you're at. We work for Jesus because what he's done for us. Matthew 9.38 says, So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into the fields. Being a harvest worker or a kingdom worker is just that. It's work. It isn't easy. But work isn't supposed to be easy. And people may turn you down. But you may be planting the seed for others. Investing and inviting, reaching people for Christ will be challenging. But it will be worth it. Think for a moment what it's like when we have someone come up here who's immersed into Christ. There's not a greater feeling in the world. See, when Jesus spoke of the harvest, he was speaking to farmers and who didn't have tractors and who didn't have the machinery that we have today. They had to do it by hard work. But when it was all over, they threw large parties with food and friends to celebrate their work that had been accomplished. We too need to do that at All Alaska Church of Christ, and we've seen a lot of successes over the last couple years. One, Craig and Faith... When Gordon left after nearly 40 years of ministry, we didn't know where we would be. We didn't even know if the church would exist. But God brought us faith in Craig. See, the harvest is plentiful. Romans 10, 13 through 15 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But it goes further. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why scripture says, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who brings the good news. When it comes to investing and inviting be an effective witness for Jesus. Modeling the Christian life is important. And it is so important because people are watching. But we also need to be willing to connect with others. We also need to be willing to create those relationships so that we have the opportunity to share in Christ. This morning we talked about investing and inviting. 
should be motivated by compassion, giving up our wants and needs for another person's needs. All of us had someone in our lives who's done that. Should be driven by prayer. Prayer for the lost. But also prayer for more workers. Like you and me. Should be accomplished by work. Let your work be overflow of your love for God. An overflow of what he's done in your life. The next five weeks, Craig's going to deliver the message. Room for doubt. Let us start thinking and praying for those in our lives that need Christ, who don't have a church home. You should have a card in front of you or sat with you this morning. This card. We ask that you take this card, and there's a place for three names, and we ask that you commit to prayer for those three people. My guess is you could find more than than those three. We want to challenge you to write them down and put that in your Bible or put it somewhere that you see every day. And we ask that you commit to prayer. This commitment card is meant to be kept in your Bible or somewhere you can see it each day and be reminded to invite and invest. Let's Let's be a church that takes seriously the Great Commission, the call to invest and invite people so they can, you can share with them what you already know. That we have a God who loves us and cares for us in spite of, in spite of our inefficiencies.